This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ plus communities. This is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. You're listening to Well, 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 where we dive into issues impacting and interwoven into the health and well-being of our gender, sex, and sexually diverse communities. Recording and broadcasting from the Joy Studios at the Victorian Pride Centre on Boonwurrung Country. Uh, This week on Well, 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 and actually for the month of July, we are celebrating Thorn Harbor Health's 40th anniversary, but talking about, you know, the health and well-being and that legacy of advocacy that informed a lot of the models that we use today. So... This episode is actually just part of the beginning of a series. And for those of you that have listened to the show before, back on the 35th when Thorn Harbor Health became Thorn Harbor Health, uh, transitioned from the Victorian AIDS Council, we had done the VAC Legacy Series or VAC Legacy Series. If you haven't listened to that, by all means, after today's episode, feel free to check that out, um, where I talked to a range of people and we sort of told that origin story for the community organization when it formed back in 1983. This time around, we're doing it a little bit differently and we're going to sit down and do a bit of longer interview with a lot of those legends. So you'll have heard of some of these people from some of these people before and a couple that you may not have heard of heard of or from in the last time around. This is our Community Living Legends series and we're going to celebrate that legacy of both community activism and really, you know, what came out of it. Alison Thorne is a long-standing advocate and half the namesake of Thorne Harbor Health. Alison is a long-standing uh, radical, or sorry, socialist feminist and activist for our LGBTIQ plus communities. And we're going to be diving into the current landscape as a long-standing feminist around that clash that we're seeing with regard to trans-exclusionary radical feminism. And Alison is help, going to help unpack all of that for me. That's all coming up on this week's show. So let's get right into it. You're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbor Health. Alison Thorne, thank you so much for rejoining us. It's been five years since we've sat down and had the last conversation, um, you know, during the 35th anniversary of the then Victorian AIDS Council, now Thorn Harbor Health. But thank you so much for rejoining us here on the show. You're welcome. Now, we did revisit the story about that, those early community meetings in response to HIV and AIDS back then. But coming back to another anniversary, can you tell us a little bit about what those meetings were like? What was going through your mind at the time? Well, I guess the first big meeting at the dental hospital, there was a sense of worry or or maybe even fear. Uh, I think some of the meetings that came immediately after that had a much greater sense of purpose um, because we were organising and uh, for those of us gay liberationists, that's what we did well. Now, for, for me during those meetings, what was really crucially important was I was thinking that what we were potentially facing was more than a health crisis, that there was a a real risk, a very serious risk of a political crisis, of a major backlash. And that was something that was a key motivator for, for me being involved. 
Because as you mentioned, you know, some of the strides and progress, they hadn't been around for that long. And did you feel like that that might HIV and and the emergence? I mean, we were largely talking about AIDS at that time would quickly undo that. Well, I I mean, there was the real potential that that could happen. And the thing with reforms, with any reforms that are won, they're, they're only ever temporary. They're only there for as long as we can hang on to them. And so it's so crucial that we're constantly watching for for risks and uh, organising to defend what we've won, but also to take things forward and really consolidate those gains. I want to take a step back now because you've committed so much of your life to activism and community activism uh, specifically. Where does that start for you? And how have you, well, I guess let's start with where does that start for you? Where do you think that like you first considered yourself and your identity as an activist? Where does that begin? Well, it began for me in my late teens in the the late 70s. And prior to that, going through high school, I'd not been a, a, a politically interested person at all. And it was after my first uh, romantic sexual relationship with a woman ended and I was basically looking around to to meet other queers. And it was... A, a very radical time in the gay liberation movement. And I got involved in the Campus Gay Society at La Trobe University. And at that time, within gay liberation, there were many people influenced by by Marxism and by feminism. And I was just exposed to an incredible array of ideas. And uh, like I began asking questions. I was asking myself, why is it that lesbians and gay men are oppressed? And uh, like I ended up finding a link with women's oppression. And uh, like I then began asking, why is it that women are oppressed. And uh, like that led me to a critique of capitalism. And, uh, you know, like before I knew it, you know, from looking for love, um, what I discovered was Marxist feminism and a whole worldview that has stayed with me my entire life. That drive of activism we hear some people get involved in that in their teens or their 20s and they sort of maybe lose that momentum because it's something to maintain how have you maintained it all these years well uh i think that theory uh and being part of an organization that those two things are both really profoundly important but first to theory when you look at the world uh, through a Marxist feminist lens, you can clearly see um, a pathway to creating a better world. And so that um, has always given me 
an immense sense of optimism. But also um, in the early 80s, I joined the Freedom Socialist Party, which is a, a Marxist feminist political party, and Radical Women, which is a socialist feminist women's leadership organisation. And so being part of an organisation and uh, working alongside comrades has given me uh, like a clear vision and I've been able to to use the saying, keep my eyes on the prize the whole time. And that's an incredible motivator and it's something that keeps you going and keeps you motivated. You've already started to touch on this, but I, I, I want to, you know, touch on it a bit more, I suppose. As a longstanding feminist, can you speak to how the feminist movement has informed gay and lesbian liberation and then the knock-on effect to how that informed the community response to HIV and AIDS? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, it's not possible to to pick apart or to separate women's oppression, uh, lesbian and gay and bi oppression and, and trans oppression. Like, they're all connected together, they're all linked and they all have the, the, the same source. And I find uh, history, anthropology enormously important because if we go back to the earliest societies, the most ancient societies, pre-private property societies, these societies were matriarchal, they were communal, Sexuality was free within those societies and there was no rigid gender binary. And uh, it was um, with the slow and gradual rise of uh, a surplus that um, the the ancient matriarchy was uh, overturned by, by patriarchy. And I find it just um, so important to know that sexism, transphobia, homophobia, that these things are not things that have always existed, that there were societies um, when this didn't exist. And that's something that gives me an immense optimism for how we can actually get to that kind of society again. Um, If we think of another form of oppression, racism, for example, um, racism was something that uh, emerged later, but it was also uh, rooted in the economy in that it was a justification for slavery, colonisation and land theft. And so... The way um, that that I see things, my worldview, is the the capitalist system is the source of all of these forms of oppression, and so that's why, as a socialist feminist, I'm working to create a society which is organised on a very different basis, one where all the means of production are collectively 
owned um, and where the society is actually based on planning. So, yes, so that's, I I can't, I cannot um, pick apart women's oppression and queer oppression because they both have the same source. That community mobilization that you saw in the 70s and the 80s, getting ourselves together, getting ourselves organized, as you yeah. did, you know, in 1983, yeah. said we need to organize ourselves. Yeah. Do you still think there's a place for that? Oh, look, a- absolutely. I think that the only way to actually create uh, a better world is by actually convincing the majority that that, that we need it. And collective organising is absolutely essential, whether it's collective organising in a a political party like the Freedom Socialist Party that I belong to, or whether um, it's bringing together a real diversity of organisations to unite into coalitions around shared goals. I think that idea of coalition is a really important one because one of the things, you know, um, we talk about a lot is around LGBTIQ communities because, you know, those groups don't, you know, coexist always in the same spaces and even things like peer support. You really want to be amongst that cohort specific. And it is that coalition of, of bringing those tribes together with a shared purpose that is so important. Look, I feel like we're only touching the surface and I do want to talk about feminism in the contemporary landscape that we're facing, but we're just getting started. I'm talking to Alison Thorne here on Well, Well, Well. You're listening to Joy and the Community Radio Network. From HIV to COVID-19, STIs and everything in between, you're listening to Well, Well, Well on Joy and the Community Radio Network. You're listening to Well, Well, Well. I'm Cal Hawk and I'm continuing the conversation with Alison Thorne. Alison, to say that there is a existing tension right now amongst feminists around the issue of trans rights and the inclusion of trans women in the conversation, would it be an understatement? Well, it, it is an understatement right now to say there's a tension, <laughs> I suppose. But where do you think this tension comes from? And what advice do you have maybe for cisgender female feminists you know, who have reservations about the inclusion of trans women? Yeah. I'm I'm so glad that you've asked me this question because it's enormously important to unpack and to understand um, what the the sources of some sections of the feminist movement who are quite frankly seriously um, transphobic they're they're turfs trans exclusionary radical feminists. Now, in that term, turf is the word, the words radical feminist. And that's where uh, we very much get to an understanding of where these political ideas come from. Feminism, as um, I'm sure listeners are aware, there are many, many, many different strands of of feminism. As I've been explaining, I'm a socialist feminist. But those feminists who have concerns uh, about trans women, they are radical feminists. And radical radical feminism is based on biological determinism, number one, and number two, the belief that it is 
men who cause women's oppression. Now, I don't believe that. What, um, what I believe is I believe that patriarchy is one of the cornerstones of capitalism and that it's actually rooted in the, the, the economic system. Now, individual men, I mean, some of them, you know, can be appalling, like uh, appallingly sexist, just no, no self-awareness and, and so on. And uh, in a society that is a, a patriarchal society, um, male privilege is real. Um, but it is not um, men per se that cause women's oppression. Like it is the system. It is patriarchy. It is patriarchy hot-wired into and a part of the system. Now, it's precisely because some women, those influenced by radical feminist ideas, uh, believe, you know, that that women's oppression comes from men, that that is the basis of the anti-trans ideas that exist um, amongst some feminists. It's biological determinism and, uh, like, I think it is um, very wrong and very, very dangerous. So, so that's the, the basis of it, what to do about it. Now, um, that's uh, another really critically important question. And uh, my advice to any... Um, cisgendered feminist who has some anxiety about uh, trans and particularly trans women is go read. Um, There's some really, really important books um, that I would recommend. I remember in last century it was now, uh, in the 1990s when I read Leslie Feinberg's Transgender Warriors. And that book absolutely blew my mind um, because that was when I really um, deeply began to understand that my analysis of the link between gay oppression and women's oppression actually extended to trans oppression. And as a result of uh, reading Transgender Warriors, uh, like I did uh, like a whole lot more reading. And late last century, Freedom Socialist Party and Radical Women hosted um, a really important author from San Francisco by the name of Will Roscoe. And um, Will Roscoe studied, uh, started by studying um, First Nations, Native American communities uh, within the US and really um, brought to light the idea um, of of two-spirit people and just the incredible gender diversity. Um, He then went on to do 
a whole lot of um, study in other parts of the world. And basically, whether we're talking um, about our region, the Tiwi Islands, the, the, the Pacific, um, India, uh, I spoke at an event that we did um, for Stonewall in 2022 on LGBTIQ plus rights in Africa. Everywhere we look at pre where there is still evidence of pre-private property societies, we see there was no rigid gender binary. And Doing this reading, looking at this, like studying this, shows that uh, helps us to understand and really appreciate that transphobia is like a learned form of bigotry uh, and that it's something um, that can be unlearned and it's something that can be permanently eradicated once we address the source. In the last few months, we have seen a dramatic increase in the visibility and the action of far-right protesters, you know, going after drag story times, even the protests on Parliament stairs, you know, and I think there's a lot of people in the LGBTIQ community that are worried that that could regress. We could see, you know, that people, that movement get more momentum and, and threaten kind of the rights and the equality that we've fought so hard for. I guess, why do you think that is that we've seen this recent resurgence? Like, where do you think that has come from? Because it's, I mean, it's really, I mean, think since March, we've seen this huge thing just in the last mm-hmm. few months. Why do you think it has been in the last few months? And then to follow up to that, what can we do about it? Yeah. Um, I think that the far right is always looking for for issues that it can organise around in order to try and build and consolidate a, a fascist movement. And uh, during COVID, uh, COVID vaccinations and lockdowns were um, really the, the, the big issue that they were focused on. But the far right here, I think, looks um, very much and has very close connections to the the far right in the United States. And it, like in the United States, there's been an incredible um, backlash uh, going on, like a backlash against trans rights, uh, a, against like reproductive justice broadly with the the overturn of Roe versus Wade and I think that the the, the far right here has picked up um, what like what's actually happening in the US and started uh, like organizing against uh, not not only drag story times it was absolutely, tragic that a ball in Wangaratta for for young queer people uh, ended up being postponed. And these kinds of postponements will keep happening unless we have um, the right strategy. And it is really, really important that we actually stand up to these far-right types. And it's really important also that we understand 
not only what we should do, which I'll talk about in a minute, but what we should not do. And what we should not do is cave in to their pressure um, because the more that we cave into their pressure, the more it emboldens them, the more, you know, threats um, that they will make, the more community events will be cancelled, the more fear that there will be. That is the wrong strategy. The right strategy is to counter the far right and to make sure that our community events go ahead. And um, that, like, many events have been cancelled, but uh, a drag story time that took place in Eltham, that, like, that went ahead despite mm. threats. And, it, like, it went ahead with a community mobilisation to defend it and the glorious Rainbow Angels yep. um, defending that event. And that points in the direction of, um, of what it is that we, we should be doing. But we, um, I, I think it's really important that the queer community makes common cause with all of the different groups that fascism targets and um oh my goodness I like I was at transgender day of visibility uh this year on the 31st of March and that was like incredible there were thousands like like at least 5,000 people out on the street on a wet rainy day and that was um, very much a response to people saying hell no to Posey Parker and hell no to Nazis parading on the steps of state parliament. And what was absolutely brilliant was hearing like incredible um, trans speakers including trans women of colour and seeing that so many unions had mobilised, there were just union flags galore. And, you know, like when we got to the the state parliament, we were there and we were reclaiming it and chanting, you know, and that kind of like bringing together um, of all of the far right's targets is is really important. But we need more than just um, one-off responses. We need to um, cohere united fronts of all these different targets with um, a clear goal and a, a clear mission because we need to counter the far right when, it or when it's organising, but we also need to, to educate and uh, do about the, the serious nature of this problem as well. I'm just mindful of the time here, and I have two questions I, I, I'm really keen to ask you here. Now, first of them is, you know, look, it's five years on now, but what are your reflections with regard to the fact that, you know, five years ago, the Victorian AIDS Council said, look, we're going to we're gonna be changing our name here, uh, and in 2018, we're going to rebrand to be Thorn Harbor Health, and you're half of that namesake. How do you feel about that? Well, I've got used to it now, um, <laughs> but uh, like when I was first asked, I was surprised and like when I thought about it some more, I, I was honoured 
And um, I like I actually like the the combination of thorn and harbour because the thorn to me is something that is sharp and pointy and it like it suggests militancy and advocacy whereas a harbour is something that is safe and uh, like I like that idea of the the sharpness and the 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 safety yeah. basically and like I guess with my years of activism on r- reflection um I'm involved in the Aboriginal movement campaigning to stop deaths in custody you know have been supporting trans rights when it was you know like an issue but like barely being talked about and so I guess I was a relatively inclusive kind of choice. Mm. One thing that I'm going to ask everybody as part of this series is in the spirit of the quote, those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. What one lesson or piece of wisdom from the past do you hope that our communities keep in mind as we go into the future? Well, um, I think this is a really good question. And I think history is something that's far from linear and we we ca- can win reforms only to have those reforms um, roll back again if the the right wing starts gaining traction and one example that always comes to my mind is thinking of Germany during the the Weimar Republic you know, think of that movie Cabaret and the big, you know, like queer scene that it like existed in Berlin, but it was completely wiped out by the the, the rise of fascism. It Like in the US, we've seen um, an incredible right-wing backlash with the, the, the overturn of Roe versus Wade. So um, the, like the key lesson from history is... Uh, I think that we need to get off the constant reform treadmill and permanently um, secure gains. And for me, that means getting rid of the economic system capitalism um, that actually contains the seeds of fascism and is the source of women's and queer oppression. And I would love to collaborate with any listeners of Well, Well, Well who are interested. Uh, You can get in touch with me by going to the Freedom Socialist Party's website, which is socialism.com. Get in touch. Let's work together for that world. Alison Thorne, thank you so much for joining us on Well, Well, Well. You're welcome. You're getting Well, Well, Well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. That has been another episode of Well, Well, Well. And thank you to this week's guests. In fact, I want to thank all of the guests that you're going to hear from in July because I feel it's an honor and a privilege to be able to talk to these community living legends and to kind of tap into that history because I think so much of what they've gone through and so many of the lessons they have to share with us are just totally applicable today. And so hopefully you got that as well. Now, if you missed any part of this episode or want to listen to previous episodes like the VAC Legacy series that I mentioned at the start of the show, go to join joy.org.au slash well, 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 where you can catch up on this episode and previous episodes of well, well, well. Now, if you have questions or suggestions, things we should be talking about on the show, email us at well, well, well at joy.org.au. 
Now that's all for this week's show. Again, thank you to my guests. Thanks for listening. Look after yourself and those around you. This has been another episode of Well, Well, Well here on Joy in the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 supported by Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. For more LGBTIQ plus health and well-being and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.